It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Thursday episode of Locked on Raptors, the Toronto Raptors take down the Minnesota Timberwolves 125-102. We will dig into how the Raptors closed this game on a 102-62 run over the final 35 minutes. Plus, we will talk about Pascal Siakam. Was his game last night actually more impressive than his 40-point game against the Celtics on Monday? And we've got the dude of the game to hand out to the man with the iron fists. That is, of course... Fred Van Vliet, who was all over the place last night in the win. We'll talk about that and so much more on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1149 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, March the 31st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And, of course, you can find the podcast free and available wherever you get your podcasts for the, uh, the just the low price of a click and a subscribe or a follow or a review or a rating. That is very, very nice if you do those types of things to help support the show. Thank you in advance. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe over there. Hit the big red subscribe button and uh, help the push towards 1,800 subs. We're getting close. So thanks to everyone who's hopped on board here recently. The postseason's coming up. It's an exciting time. If you have a friend who likes the Raptors, is getting into it, uh, direct them to the podcast. I would appreciate it very, very much, as I appreciate you making us your first listen of the day. Off the top, I want to apologize. I was going to record an episode last night from the arena, but being me, I forgot my microphone. And so we are back in the usual recording studio in my humble little office in my little apartment. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, we will do an episode probably from the arena on Monday after the Kyle, or, or sorry, Sunday night after the Kyle Lowry return, uh, you know, provided I remember my microphone that night. So just keep an eye out for that. Either way, uh, thank you so much for being here. We're going to dive into a really fun win over the Minnesota Timberwolves last night, 125-102. Sluggish start for the Raptors in this one. Did not look like it was going to go super well against a very stout and long and kind of Raptors-y Minnesota defense. Perhaps not surprising that they're Raptors-y, uh, considering Chris Finch is the coach over there, Nick Nurse's best pal, former Raptors assistant coach, and they have a lot of dudes who give you problems especially when it comes to packing the paint keeping you away from the rim and we'll get into some of the ways in which the Raptors worked around that most of them have to do with one Pascal 
Siakam. Plus, we are also going to dive in to uh, some box score notes, dig into some sort of trends from the game. I want to talk about the starting lineup. Uh, they have been weirdly bad, and they actually had a, sh a change going into the second half last night, which we haven't seen much from Nick Nurse so far this season, unless it's been Kem Birch kind of getting sat down. Uh, so we will examine that and look at some very bizarre numbers for the Raptors starting five. I can't really figure out what's going on with that lineup. We will try to investigate. Got the due to the game to hand out as well at the end of the game. So let's dive in here uh, to the game against the Wolves last night and sort of my big takeaways. My big takeaway for me is that this was kind of an example of the peak formula for the Raptors, right? Like if they're going to go and upset some team in the first round from the upper crust of the East, it's going to be because they followed what they did last night against the Wolves. It all kind of flows through Pascal Siakam, and I continue to be really encouraged about Siakam and how his work this season to improve as an overall offensive hub and engine is going to translate to the postseason because he's beating teams in all sorts of different ways and adapting when difficult circumstances come into play, when difficult matchups are at hand. He is still finding a way to be the driver of all that is good and nice with the Toronto Raptors offense right now. And last night was no exception. The Wolves, as I mentioned, a really, really, uh, again, Raptors-y type team. Super aggressive. They send two to the ball. They send a bunch of guys collapsing all of the time. Whenever a drive is happening, there was always a double coming to Pascal Siakam when he got to that 10-foot or so range. And he just could not get any laneways to the rim. They're, they're a really big team. The Wolves are. Jared Vanderbilt. I mean, I made the point last night that he feels like someone that Masai or and or Bobby is going to bed with the basketball reference page of open as they fall asleep, phone in hand. Uh, he's a six foot nine guy who defends well and grabs a million offensive rebounds. He's got future Raptor written all over him, uh, at least in the way that they're building the team right now. Uh, and, you know, you throw in Anthony Edwards, who's no slouch on the wings. You throw in D'Angelo Russell, who's been a really good defender this season. Patrick Beverly's no picnic to deal with, even though he's a little bit small. C coming in off the bench, you've got Nas Reed, who's just like a, a brick shithouse. You've got uh, even Jordan McLaughlin and Torian Prince were doing pretty well when they were forced to, you know, guard Siakam for a possession or two here or there. Just a really hyper-aggressive scheme and you know you may be familiar with how it works when you have a hyper aggressive scheme it's going to tend to leave shooters open this happens all the time with the raptors in the way they defend the raptors i think tend to have a little bit more success when it comes to recovering back out to shooters they seem to be on a string a little bit more the defensive talent they have on board probably a little bit higher uh plus the length obviously is a huge asset for them as well as they play that scheme but the Wolves do it quite well, and they were doing it really well in the first, let's say, 14 minutes of regulation last night. Siakam only had, I think, four points in the first half. Might have just been two. It was a a really tricky start for him. He, you know, he didn't have the touch on his mid-range shot. The threes weren't falling for him, and he couldn't get to the rim, where that's obviously where his bread's buttered. He's shooting almost 70% from the rim this season, but there were just no avenues to get there because of the pack line defense the Wolves were playing. And so... Siakam turned into playmaker mode. Of course, a complete sort of stark contrast to what we saw on Monday where he only had one assist. I think he only had like six potential assists in that game. Like it wasn't like he was serving up a ton of passes against the Celtics and, you know, open threes weren't falling. He was just going at those Celtics and, you know, sizing up matchups and scoring himself and just, you know, kind of doing the if it's going to get done right, it's got to be me who does the job type of thing. 
That wasn't the case in this one, and the Raptors offered a lot of support in a way he didn't have on Monday, when which kind of inspired him to go for that 40. Instead, he finishes this game with just 12 points. He goes 5 of 15 from the field, but I think it was actually a more impressive game from Siakam than it was on Monday when he just sort of scored over a bunch of dudes who uh, are easy to score over if you're Pascal Siakam, right? Instead, he was just, again, the diagnosis of the double teams that were coming from the from the Wolves. He knew exactly what the Wolves wanted to do to him. Yes, he had six turnovers. That's not ideal, I guess, but he had 13 assists. And I'm going to try to pull up the numbers here. Like He like just was incredible when it came to the secondary assists in this one. He had a lot of potential assists fall flat, although fewer than you might expect because the Raptors, uh, uh, let me just see here, the, the secondary assists for, yeah, four secondary assists last night for Pascal Siakam per NBA.com to go along with the 13 assists and the potential assists he had last night as well. Uh, it was 18. So like, yeah, he was just, he, he was carving and slicing and, and dicing up that Wolves defense. You know, again, he would drive, you know, he would have one guy face guarding him and then a second guy would kind of converge and then he would know exactly where that help was coming from and realize, oh, there's OG on the wing. I'm just going to kick it to him. There's going to be a touch pass to the corner and there's going to be a wide open three. It was either Gary Trent Jr. or OG with those wide open threes early on. The second quarter, you know, Precious Achua got in on the action as well with those wing threes, not doing the touch pass to the corner, just firing away from the wing. The Wolves seemed kind of unbothered by him shooting. He went three of seven, though, and really burned them and had nine points in that third quarter, just putting him up and heaving away. Uh, and again, like Siakam, look, this doesn't work out the same way if the Raptors aren't making their shots and they're not going to go 18 of 36 every single night. But most teams are not going to provide the resistance around the rim that for Siakam that, you know, forced him to be such uh, in playmaker mode, right? Like he, he's going to have opportunities as we go forward here against lesser defenses, teams with less length and size, where it's going to be kind of a balance, right? Maybe the Raptors can get away with a lesser shooting night and Siakam will be able to put up a little bit more in terms of his own personal production. It's all balance, right? But the balance in this game was Siakam just was kind of being neutralized as a scorer. And so he diverted, deferred to everybody else. And boy, oh boy, did they ever come through. OG goes four or four from downtown, 22 points, five boards, three assists, it can't be understated how lovely it is to have OG back on this team. He's just, he ties everything together. The defense he offers just makes everybody's life that much easier. And he can score and, and knock down threes at a really incredible rate. And, you know, Mike James style. <laughs> and, you know, he's not doing the Mike James thing. Please never do the Mike James thing, OG. Uh, unless you feel like going for a contract, who's to say? But, you know. I digress. Uh, just a really nice game overall. Plus 29, team best for OG last night. And you you felt that plus 29. They were just humming along when he was out there. He was eagerly putting up threes. You know, we still scored uh, a few two-pointers as well. Five of nine from two-point range, too. That's nice to see. Had some nice seal-outs. Continues to be stronger than most everybody else in the league and can get himself good position for those seal-outs under the basket. So great stuff from OG. Lots of stuff in transition as well. Uh, and then Gary Trent Jr. goes six of eight from downtown in this one. 29 points to lead the team. He goes nine of 13 overall. Just an incredibly efficient game from Trent and kind of an exact embodiment of where his bread is buttered within this sort of healthy version of the Raptors. He's never going to be someone that you're running a ton of pick and rolls with or asking to self-create a lot, but he's so good when he has an advantage, whether it's just an open look or he has time to, you know, put the ball on the deck and get to the mid range, get up a shot that he wants to get, like that he's comfortable getting to. Like it, it, it was just 
you're not going to get a combined 10 of 12 from those guys every single night. Like that's not fair to expect or anything like that, but uh, you know, they have the capacity to get hot for a given night. And in the postseason, you only need to get hot four to seven times and something special can kind of happen there. So yeah, beautiful stuff from Gary Trent Jr. Last night, uh, you know, complimenting so well, you know, led the way with points. I would argue he's probably like, you know, the third or fourth most impactful guy offensively last night for the Raptors overall in terms of things that were being done on the floor. He didn't have stuff flowing through him at all. He was just the finisher on a lot of these plays. And boy, oh boy, they needed a finisher last night in the worst kind of way with Siakam being so troubled by what the Wolves were doing to him. So yeah, this is the formula. The turnovers were like out of control. 22 forced turnovers for the Raptors last night. Not a lot of them were live ball. They only had 10 steals. And so, and it's especially took them time early on to really get out on the run. They just could not convert whatsoever in that first quarter or at the start of the second quarter on those transition looks. And they weren't getting quite as many of them as you'd like because a lot of these turnovers I mean, it was a slop fest in the first quarter. They were just like kicking it around, both teams throwing it away. And it was like, you know, side outs and things like that after these turnovers in a lot of cases. So it doesn't quite tell the whole picture. But again, 22 forced turnovers overall. Uh, you know, you'll take that every time. And we'll talk about the guy who forced uh, uh, literally half of those turnovers in the final segment of the show. But we're going to continue on here and dive into some thoughts on the starting five and some other box score notes from last night. We'll get to that in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at NBA Top Shot, which is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards, part stock market, part fantasy sports with a built-in loyalty program. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and trade by removing the hassle of card grading, shoeboxes, and binders. The, their 24-7 peer-to-peer marketplace lets you scroll through all your favorite players and teams. Once you find the moment you've been looking for, you can buy it in a couple of clicks. And if you sign up today at Top NBA Top Shot, uh, you're the best way to start is by getting yourself a starter pack. You can pull a moment of a superstar like LeBron or KD or star rookies like your boy, Scotty Barnes. Head over to LockedOn.NBATopShot.com to start building your collection today. That is LockedOn.NBATopShot.com to start your collection today with our friends at NBA Top Shot. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. And I got some box score notes to run through from last night's game. And we should probably begin with the Raptors starting five, which has been perplexing. Uh, this was a, a line of conversation before the game last night in, in Nick Nurse's pregame availability. I believe Eric Kareen actually wrote about this today over at The Athletic. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I, I would imagine he does quite a good job diving into this very befuddling 
collection of players that the Raptors are starting games with when they're healthy. Last night, I believe, was the 20th time only they've had their starting five, their sort of ideal starting five of Van Vliet, Trent, Ananobi, Siakam, Barnes available. And it did seem before the game like there was a little bit of apprehension about that lineup against Carl Anthony Towns. That proved to be uh, well-founded early on in this game. I mean, Towns was, you know, kind of dunking everything he wanted to. He kind of finished the game slowly, didn't really, you know, get back to where he was in the early part of this game as a progression. 16 points, 10 boards, three assists, three assists for him on 7-13. to 13. Only shot one three, which is something you'll happily live with if you're the Raptors because Carl Anthony Towns is very good at shooting threes, as it turns out. But um yeah I, I thought the starting five you know I have no problem rolling with that lineup you know regardless of the matchup I feel like you can adapt and evolve and I think that lineup can do things to other teams that makes them think about all right should we size down should we change what we've got going on because they're so good on the offensive glass despite being small and all of that but there, there's something going on with this lineup and I can't quite put my finger on it it, it just has not quite performed at a consistent high level and it's even more perplexing when you kind of break it out quarter by quarter. So overall, over the course of the season so far, this lineup, the Raptors starting five has played 315 minutes, excuse me, 315 minutes at a minus 2.9 net rating per 100 possessions. Uh, you know, their defense is still like better than what their overall defense is. It's just under 110 points uh, allowed per 100 possessions, better than their season long total. Uh, but their offense is uh, floating around like 106 points per 100 possessions, which is just... It's weird because it's the five best offensive players on the team. It's like three or four guys who can actively self-create even more than that. I mean, Fred can self-create. Scotty can get himself a look. Pascal can. Gary, like they all can kind of do it on some level, varying degrees of success, of course. But it's a lineup with a lot of offensive firepower. Plus, you get the fact that they are on a string defensively and they're long still, even though they're small necessarily like yes, in title they're small, but in actuality, they're really not, um, you know, it's three, six, eight, six, nine guys across the front line. That's a lot to deal with. Uh, even if you're giving up some at the center position, but still they haven't been able to figure it out on the offensive end. Their transition game has not gotten going. And I, I, I just don't know how to sort of surmise this because there have been moments where it's looked amazing. The Raptors have been one of the best crunch time teams in the league this season, for example. And that lineup had a long run when they were healthy of just crushing teams late in games and sealing up victories for the Raptors. Let's go quarter by quarter just to break down their net ratings and the number of minutes played within this Raptors starting five, just to add more confusion to the mix. So early in games, first quarters, they are getting bludgeoned as they did last night. 101 uh, points per 100 possessions offensively, giving up 118.7 as a defensive rating, minus 17.6 overall in first quarter minutes, in 95 first quarter minutes for the starting five. Real bad, minus 17.6. In second quarters, they're a little bit better to close halves. That's typically when they'll come in. 122.1 offensive, 107.9 defensive, plus 14.2 in just 37 second quarter minutes. So not a huge sample there, a little bit noisy. Then you go to the third quarter, and all these samples are small comparatively, so they're all noisy, and that's kind of the point. Uh, third quarters, they've been just fine, 105.7 offensive rating, so not scoring very well, but they are defending at a crazy rate, 101.4 uh, defensive rating, a plus 4.4 in 104 third quarter minutes. Uh, and then you get into the fourth quarter, and they've been kind of even, 113 offensive rating, 112.6 defensive, plus 0.4 in 74th quarter minutes. So to refresh... Minus 17.6 in 95 first quarter minutes. 
plus 14.2 in 37 second quarter minutes, plus 4.4 104 third quarter minutes, and plus 0.4 in 74th quarter minutes. It doesn't make any sense. There's no through line. I don't really know how to reckon with it at all. You would think, oh, maybe the first quarter is bad because they're playing opposing starters, but why are they good in the third quarter and at the end of second quarters? Like, it, it all doesn't line up. And so I'm kind of on the side of Nick Nurse with this one. Uh, last night before the game, when he was asked about that lineup and their sort of underwhelming numbers so far, he just pointed out, like, they haven't played really together consistently at all this season. They had that one stretch in the middle of the year, I guess, like January, is it kind of was into the middle of February when they were at peak health for a while there. And that was nice, but it's still not an enormous sample. Again, just 20 games combined for this lineup together. And all told, even, you know, 315 minutes is not that much this late in the season for your most used lineup. And I I'm going to sort of... Like I, I, I still don't know. There's not enough information just yet to know if this lineup is viable going forward. In theory, it should be, but I, you know, maybe it's the fact that Scotty Barnes is a little bit miscast as like a fifth option center. I mean, he's performed quite well in that role at times this season, so I don't even know if it's that. Maybe this is just kind of too many offensive cooks. This is actually something that I'm kind of interested in. Early in these games, they seem like they're kind of going away from Pascal early on. You know, this happened last night. You know, Siakam didn't even get a shot up in the first, like, I don't know, six, seven minutes of the game. And it was a lot of Gary Trent Jr. actions. It was a lot of uh, Scotty Barnes screening for, for Fred. It was a lot of OG actions and stuff like that, post-ups for OG. And they were not getting really anything out of it. They had a really tough offensive start. And so I kind of wonder if maybe, like, that's kind of by design where they realize, okay, the best things for us are going to happen when Siakam has the ball in his hands, but why not try to get guys going early on in games? Let's save Pascal for when things really matter, when the chips are down as the game progresses. He's playing such a heavy minutes burden. Is it by design that they're kind of intentionally doing the sort of lesser version of their offense uh, with, with Pascal not being the central figure in the first six minutes or so? Is it just like uh, you're trying to get your bearings and, oh, there's Pascal. It's going to like, I don't really know what, what's going on there, but I do think something is happening with the way that the hierarchy is established early on in games. That's probably affecting. And that's why the numbers are so bad. Uh, you know, the minus 17.6 at 95 first quarter minutes could be explained a little bit by that even then though like it's just it, it is there's no reason their defense should be giving up 118.7 points per 100 in first quarters so again I, I think we need more time with it I think you know the matchup game is probably something Nick Nurse should play going forward the numbers suggest that okay this isn't going to be maybe your sort of like your dead ringer lineup that's going to play 30 minutes a night when, when the playoffs are going and really kind of rack up scores for you maybe it's sort of a, a short-term short burst type lineup I'm not sure but it's also like a weird thing to not start those five guys and you have to hurt someone's feelings to move them to the bench. The person who was moved to the bench last night in an interesting move, uh, kind of in line with this whole conversation about the starters, was Scotty Barnes. Uh, to start the second half, Barnes goes to the bench. Precious Achua comes in after a really strong second quarter that I mentioned earlier. Not just hitting threes, but was like really the only guy providing any resistance against Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, and, you know, was, you know, we didn't have a great rebounding game or anything like that. Just four boards. The the Wolves did, you know, hammer the Raptors offensive rebounding wise in this one. 18 offensive boards. The second straight game, the Raptors have lost the offensive rebounding battle pretty significantly. I think that's just kind of a, a small blip. I don't know if that's uh, anything to really write home about. We'll keep an eye on it, I suppose. But uh, Precious comes in and, you know, he just kind of elevates the defense overall. And maybe that's the key. Maybe. Maybe, 
you know, Scotty, you know, at, at the five, maybe that's more something that you know, something that's reserved for specific matchups. Maybe there are certain guys who are just too much for him to handle. And Carl Anthony Towns certainly would qualify as one of those types of guys. Um, but I am curious to see how sort of liberal Nurse is with kind of changing up the starting five, depending on the matchup as we go forward here. Some interesting matchups on the horizon. They play the Heat on the weekend. I would imagine they'll probably go small there, but Bam Adebayo is no picnic to go against. Scotty Barnes, I think, has fared quite well against Bam so far this season in the games where they have played, but, um, you know, it, it, it's something to watch, definitely. Uh, you know, the Sixers are also on tap at some point uh, later in the schedule as well. I think it's the third last game of the season. So <laughs> I just, it's a hard onion to peel back and see all the layers of as to why that starting five is performing so poorly. Because I test wise, in theory, it should be a very effective lineup. It's your five best players on the floor and you do have size. It might just be that specific matchups aren't cut out for it, and maybe they've caught, gotten caught up too, ma in too many of those specific matchups within the 20 games they've been healthy together, and so that's affecting the sample. It's still hard to kind of suss out, and I think we need, need more time with it. But, you know, the idea of moving Barnes to the bench, I know some people probably are like, why are you doing that with Barnes? He's amazing. He's the future, blah, 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 blah. And that's fair, I guess, if you're kind of, again, viewing things through a development lens. But I feel like at this point, with the playoffs nearing, with the Raptors racking up wins here, potentially getting up into the fifth seed at some point here in the next couple of weeks before the season is, is coming to a close, it almost feels like Nick Nurse is kind of moving more into win-now mode versus development mode and is kind of like, all right, the leash has got to be shortened here. And honestly, I don't hate it. You know, with a guy like Scotty Barnes... I love his sort of careless devil may care attitude where, you know, he's going to, you know, stare guys down on the break. He's going to throw no look passes when maybe they're a little ill advised. He's going to get a little ambitious out there. I love that stuff, but I understand why Nick Nurse wouldn't. And so I don't mind the idea of playing a little tough with a guy who's not been, you know, he, he, Scotty Barnes is amazing. Even last night he came in at 17, five and five on seven of nine, really, really crushed in the second half. So there's nothing to be upset with Scotty Barnes about, but when it comes to what's going on and why he got benched, and I think he had a bit of a shorter leash as well. He fouled out on Monday, but also I think came in a little bit later on, sat a little bit for longer stretches than he normally would because he wasn't playing super well. I do wonder if Nurse is kind of getting a little bit more sort of uh, short with the leash and if it, that's sort of just like a championship coach kind of realizing, all right, like I know what it's going to take for us to pull off a playoff upset. And we got to kind of iron out these more sort of rough edges before the postseason comes. And if, you know, sitting a guy is the way to potentially have him learn and and, and come back and adapt and, and go forward, maybe that's the way to go. I, I don't hate it. You know, I, the, the tough love approach with a guy who has kind of had free reign to do whatever he wants all season long, as he probably should have. Again, it's been a development forward season. That's not a problem. But you got to change the mind frame a little bit now with the playoffs drawing near and with this team playing as well as it is. I mean, they're, they're really making a case as a team that can actually pull a surprising first round upset, depending on the matchup they draw. So a little tough love for the young guys on the team is not a bad thing in my books. We're going to continue on to talk about uh, not one of the young guys on the team. I mean, he's still relatively young. He's younger than I am, but he is one of the sage Vets of the team as well. He is also your dude of the game, and he was everywhere last night, especially on the defensive end. We'll get to that in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Bet Online. After months of playing college basketball, uh, or after months of playing, <laughs> I've missed a comma in the copy here. College basketball has determined the top teams for the Final Four and will determine this year's national chat champion this coming weekend. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info ahead of the Final Four. 
please go put some money down on Duke losing. Uh, like we got to have the forces working against Duke at all costs here. And I know North Carolina is not like a great, you know, uh, hero in this tale, but better than Duke. So go uh, UNC. Either way, Bet Online remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews of all the leagues this season to make sure that you are fully informed anytime you place money down. And it's not just basketball. They've got all the sports under the sun. They've also got all your sports live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games on hand as well. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device. Learn more about the trends and the action at Bet Online, where the game starts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we round out today's show with uh, some thoughts on your dude of the game, who last night, uh, I think very clearly, has to be one Fred Van Vliet. Fred was everywhere in this game, in a game where the Raptors captured their peak 6-9 formula and were running and gunning and you had dudes throwing down lobs and dunking in transition and Thad Young's throwing down with his left he kind of turning the corner it's all beautiful Fred Van Vliet was the most disruptive force of anybody on the floor last night for the Raptors he was just nasty man he had five steals that undersells it William Blue posted a video last night of the 11 different turnovers that Fred forced just by being an enormous pain in the ass. Uh, and he finished with 12 points as well. You know, two of seven from downtown, eight assists, which is not bad in any way. That That's nice to see. But really, this was not about his offense. This was about Fred Van Vliet being an absolute murderer defensively, just digging down nonstop, poking balls free. Like there was just no safe basketball last night in the hands of a Minnesota Timberwolf. And Fred was just electric, really. It was one of the most fun and sort of scintillating defensive performances I can remember a Raptor putting together in recent times. I mean, there have been some beautiful ones this season. You know, Pascal against the Heat really stands out. Uh, you know, the, the overtime blocks and things like that. He's been really, really fantastic, especially in the clutch defensively this season. But start to finish, this game was a Fred Van Vliet masterclass. And if you're sort of going to throw in some, uh, if you're going to email like the NBA voters with like uh, footage like if the Raptors are going to do some PR for Fred Van Vliet for all defense like they should just send the tape of this game out to all the voters and have them watch it because it's it's a perfect encapsulation of the way he disrupts and the way he kickstarts a lot of what makes the Raptors so great right you force 11 turnovers you get five steals that's going to result in a lot of the Raptors on the run and we know that the Raptors are devastating when they run, and they run a lot when they're at their best. Last night, it, it really was sort of like the perfect feedback loop of Raptors basketball. I've talked about how the Raptors are kind of always in one of two things, either a positive feedback loop 
or a negative feedback loop. It's a little bit less than that now because they've actually established like a half court offense that I think is pretty viable flowing through Siakam. But we've seen at points this season, the offense can really dry up. It can go for six, seven minute spells where it's not scoring and it only feeds into itself because the defense is giving up buckets. Their offense is having to play in the half court and they're not getting out on the run and not forcing the other team to play against a set defense. It's just a nightmare. But last night, totally different. The Raptors force a million turnovers. They get it on the run. They're always playing in a set defense against the Wolves who are coming at them. And it's just waves of Raptors arms and deflections and bodies all over the place. It, it was beautiful. And Fred was, again, the linchpin for all of that. He looked a lot better last night than I think he has really since the All-Star break. And I don't know, it might have just been like a one-game blip and maybe he felt good and the knee was feeling good. You know, maybe there's some recovery going on here. I don't know. But even Nick Nurse pointed out after the game that he looked like he had some extra speed and some extra burst. And even though he was only 5 of 15 in this game, 2 of 7 from 3, he really did find himself at the basket a lot more often than we've seen. You know, the, the Wolves were blocking everything last night. Poor Chris Boucher got blocked like 15 times. Thereabouts, they had nine blocks as a team last night. Uh, Fred got blocked a couple times as well on his forays to the rim just because he's a lot smaller than these guys, and they're not easy to move out of the way. He did have one Lowry, like Kyle Lowry-like bucket where he just moved a guy out of the way with his ass and scored. That was really fun and brought back some nice flashbacks ahead of the return on Sunday. But um, yeah, it, it just was a top-to-bottom beautiful effort from Fred Van Vliet, and his offense looked a little bit more encouraging as well, at least with the the burst and the process as opposed to the actual results. Um, you know, he just... <laughs> He's essential, right? Like he's the Raptors are not going to do what they have designs on doing if they don't have at least a good version of Fred Van Vliet. It doesn't have to be perfect necessarily. And I talked yesterday in the podcast about how I think they can kind of survive a lesser offensive output from him, but they're not going to be able to survive without his deflections and the steals and turnovers he creates because that's what they thrive on. And he is the biggest purveyor of such possessions. And so uh, it was beautiful and wonderful and really exciting to see last night that he got back to his old his old ways. And hopefully that can can sustain, you know, will he rest more? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's really helped all that much when he has rested versus not. He only played 32 minutes last night. That's a pretty encouraging sign as well. Um, you know, that I mean, huge that he only played 32 minutes considering they've been relying on him to play so goddamn much of late. But uh, we will wrap up the conversation there and tie a little bow on it. You know, Fred, great stuff. Happy to see and happy to see Nick Nurse actually talking about it after the game with encouragement as opposed to, you know, the sort of resigned, yeah, he's, he's hurt, he's battling through it and it's difficult. Not the case last night. Should be music to your ears. If you are a Raptors fan, uh, just a quick reset on the standings. Now the Cavs lost last night to the Mavericks and have some injuries piling up. They're now two games back to the Raptors. The Raptors, of course, don't have the tiebreaker against either the Bulls or the Cavs, but that is uh, meaningful. Just six games to go. That two game split might be enough to start making plans for actual regular seven game playoff series basketball for the Raptors. It's not cinched just yet. And the, the Bulls are still out there and the Cavs can go and win some games because Darius Garland's amazing and all of that. But uh, looking pretty good right now for an actual real playoff series for this Raptors team. Who they'll play, who the hell knows. Uh, they're only two and a half games back, by the way, of the Philadelphia, Philadelphia 76ers. And they have the tiebreaker over them with one game to play. The Sixers play uh, like an absolute cream puff schedule to close the season, but who knows? Uh, <laughs> there's still home court advantage, potentially mathematically on the table, which is wild. They're four games out of first place 
in the entire Eastern Conference. Uh, this Raptors team's good, man. It's really good. They're having a great time. They're having an absolute blast. Four and a half games at the first, I should say, uh, back from the Miami Heat. So we will leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, really fun one last night. We will turn our attention tomorrow. Uh, not so much to the Magic game because, you know, it's the Magic. But we will turn our attention to the Kyle Lowry return game on Sunday. And I have a wonderful guest lined up. It's Rohan Nadkarni from SI. He's a Miami Heat guy. And we're going to talk about Kyle Lowry, his role within the Heat, uh, you know, his impressions of Kyle's run in Toronto. I know he's a Kyle Lowry appreciator. He's a Raptors appreciator. Rohan's great. Uh, we will have him on the podcast tomorrow to tee up the Kyle Lowry return and get real sad and emotional. Uh, with that, though, uh, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen of the day locked on NBA as the guys over there are doing a wonderful job each and every night breaking down. Nick Angstat, the Thursday night, uh, Friday morning host of Locked on NBA. Or wait, what day is it today? The Wednesday night, uh, Thursday morning host of Locked on NBA. Nick Angstat texted me last night asking for Raptors propaganda for the show. And I sent him a whole lot. So uh, go listen to that for a breakdown on what the Raptors were doing last night and what the league had cooking as the uh, very, very tense pennant race-like finish to the season continues. It's a great place to go. With that, thank you so much for tuning in. Please go subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff on all your favorite podcast apps. And on YouTube, we will talk to you again on Friday with Rohan Nadkarni from SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast to round out your week. Talk to you then, everybody. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.